Good morning, brothers and sisters. If we could uh, turn in our Bibles, well, before we get to the main passage we're going to cover, let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. The theme we're going to cover this morning is Jeroboam's great sin. The passage, our main passage, is found in 1 Kings chapter 12, going through chapter 14 and some of 15. But before we turn there, let's just take a, a look at this very familiar story and just consider a few verses. John chapter 4, I'm reading in verse 19. The woman saith unto him, that is the Samaritan woman, speaking to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet, or fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Going down to verse 23, Jesus speaking says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's look to the Lord for guidance. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for thy word. We just ask that you would speak to us through it, Father. Open our ears and our hearts, Father, to take in thy word that it would change, that it would have an effect on our very lives, that it wouldn't go in one ear and out the other, like the man in James revealing himself in the mirror and seeing the defects and just walking away from it. But let us have an effect in our lives, Father. We ask that your name would get the glory this morning, Father, and we pray that if anything is said, that it's not according to your will that the saints might forget. We ask these things in your son's most precious name. Amen. Amen. Here, the reason that I, I bring this passage is just to point out some of the consequences of sin, specifically the sins of the leaders of Israel back in the time, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior to it. Here, this, this poor woman is, is confused, in a sense, and, and Christ would steer her to the true and living God. And the question uh, of worship comes up. And the Samaritans, which were descendants of Jacob, and they claimed their descendancy from Jacob, but they were a, a mixed breed, and there was enmity between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And this all comes of consequence from leaders failing the people of God. So let's, let's go ahead and, and consider our passage in, in 1 Kings. Now, just like our brother Aaron last week, we were going to cover a passage of Scripture that is, is perhaps not the most enjoyable portion, just because it was in depressing times and you see the folly of the people. But nonetheless, it is Scripture. And uh, just a reminder for Second uh, Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And that's how we have to look at all scripture. Regardless of the story or the rascal that we're going to be studying, 
We must take it as the word of God. And we're going to uh, start reading in First Kings, if I could find it. First Kings chapter 12, we're going to be starting in verse 25. And historically, just so we have a, a grasp of time, this comes, David reigned, man after God's own heart, Solomon stepped in, the kingdom was united, it had its peak, uh, and, and Solomon started out strong. Aaron covered last week that he finished out very poorly. After 40 years of Solomon's reign, the kingdom was divided through his son, his son's foolishness, and it was split It was not split evenly. Ten of the tribes went to Israel under the man named Jeroboam, the one that we're going to consider. And while Rehoboam would still maintain Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom, as it's it's mostly noted, uh, Jeroboam would have Israel, essentially. And uh, it's just a bad start, foreshadowing of the kings of Israel, how, how wicked they were. So let's uh, consider verse 25. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David if the people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then shall the heart of this people turn again uh, unto their Lord even unto Jeroboam, the king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two golden calves or calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold, thy gods with lowercase g. O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one up he, and he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became sin, for the people went to worship before one, even unto Dan. And he made the house, and he made an house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, in the eighth day of the month, like unto the feast. That is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar, so he did in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he made, and he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he made. And so he offered upon the altar uh, which he made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even the month which he had devised in his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered up. Upon the altar, burnt incense. I don't know if if you were here the previous weeks, but if you remember that it was God who gave Jeroboam the kingdom. And under what pretenses did he give Jeroboam that half of the kingdom? We see that Solomon, in his folly, he, he married many women. And he set up idolatry. Those very sins that turned his heart away from God, it was for those very sins 
that Solomon was punished by the kingdom being split. In chapter 11, in chapter 11, verse 11, it says, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and give it unto thy servant. That servant being Jeroboam. And the, and the prophet of God would go and speak to Jeroboam. And he would promise him, this prophet was named Ahijah, and it's found again in chapter 11. And in verse 38, look at what the promise that God is making to Jeroboam. It shall be that if thou will hearken unto all that I command thee, and thou will walk in my ways, and do all that is in, right in my sight to keep my statutes, my commandments, as David, my servant, did, that I will be with thee and build thee a sure house as I built for David and will give Israel unto thee. He's essentially making the same promises. Again, this is a covenant-keeping God. Whenever there's failure between the covenants, it's between the, the covenants made between God and man. It's always on the failure of man. God never fails. What he promises, he will keep. And oh, how many times that we've failed in our walk, in our Christian walk. And, and, and it's, it's mind-boggling to consider that for the very sins that the kingdom was rent from Solomon, that was divided, it's being promised. And, and God is revealing himself through the prophet Ahijah to this man named Jeroboam. And he, 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 he's hearing the very words of God. He's hearing the promises that he's making to him. And unfortunately, those promises go essentially in one ear and out the other. You would think that's enough evidence that God is providing him. Look, this is going to happen. I'm going to give you this kingdom. And he physically, he sees this prophecy come to fruition. How foolish it was. Of King Jeroboam, how he, God would offer him the sure mercies of David, and yet he would turn from them. Brothers and sisters, in a way, that's how it is with salvation nowadays. God offers the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish. Meaning that if it's anything but through Christ, there's, you're going to perish. And God offers salvation to the entire world. And yet, the world, they have to decide. They have to align their will with God's. God is willing. What does uh, 2 Peter uh, 3.9? God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering. He is not willing that any should perish, including this Jeroboam. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to, re to repentance. First Timothy 2.4 says, Who will all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth? This is God that we're speaking about. And in sincerity, this is God revealing himself to us and to the world, whether, uh, whether they make the decision or not. The lost have this promise laid out for them of salvation who is willing. God is willing that they be saved. He doesn't want them. He's willing that they shouldn't perish. And he's willing for them to be saved. It's a matter of the will, a matter of the heart. 
And if they don't align, if they don't will that they accept God's gift, if their heart doesn't accept God's conditions, they're going to be like this Jeroboam being foolish. The, uh, the writer of the Hebrews would write on to say, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It's almost a rhetorical question. There's, there is no, you, there's no escape. If God offers this great a salvation, his sure mercies, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? In Jeroboam, through, and these verses that we just read, in uh, verses 25 through 33, you can see that there is idolatry and fake worship with the intent to keep a hold by his own power, by his own might, to keep a hold of the kingdom, to keep a hold of power, essentially. And the way that he does it, it's almost it's just an insult to the very person of God. We see that uh, he, he convinces himself that, that if these people go worship the true God, that they're going to turn their hearts away from him. In verse 28, we see that he takes two golden calves. Surely he knew the history. Surely he knew the folly of Aaron's sin that would ultimately cost him his life. That would cost him from entering into the promised land. And as the garments would be placed from him to his son, he would die. And the people would see it's because of his sin that he died. And he would again bring these two golden calves. He would double the idolatry that God punished his people for. And he would say, behold thy gods. Behold thy gods with a lowercase g. And, and listen to the slap, to the insult uh, that goes to the true and living God. O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. There's a lot of people nowadays, people that are atheists, people that don't believe in God. And they say, if God is real, let him reveal himself. Let him do a, a miracle. Uh, cry out from the heavens, I am God. Believe in me. Brothers and sisters, I tell you that God has revealed himself. He has spoken to men of old. He's tried every possible means to saving them. And ultimately, he looks to save us by coming to this world being made flesh, walking amongst us, revealing himself to be the true and living God and to die on a cross for our sins. And it is not our request that God should reveal himself, that he should do some great sign. Believe me, it doesn't work. He has done it. It's recorded in these historical documents. And oh, the foolishness of Jeroboam, it says that he would set up these abominations in verse 29 in Bethel and the other in Dan. Geographically, if we look in the map, Dan is towards the northern border. Bethel is towards the southern border of the northern kingdom before you get to the kingdom of Judah. Essentially, he's setting them up strategically for convenience, convenience of worship. Do we see that nowadays? 
do we see in Christendom some so-called churches take the word of God and reform it to where it's going to accommodate them, their schedules, their people, their type of worship, their finances. Just turn on the TV and behold some of these so-called preachers of the gospel. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not defaming everybody that's a TV preacher. But there are some that are appalling to the point where it, it stirs anger inside me. Just beholding the, the deceitfulness, the fake promises, the, the, the poisoning of God's word with what they do. Convenience of worship. Instead of the people going to the temple, which was ordained for worship, he would set them up. And oh, how, how sad of a testimony was what condition the people's hearts were at that time that they would actually go and sacrifice on these altars. You would think historically that Jeroboam would know some of the, the, the foolishness and the consequence that it comes when, when men try to perverse and to change the layout, the system, the way God wants to be approached. I think of Korah and his family. And you could read about it in Numbers chapter 16. In verse 3, Korah would tell Moses, the servant of God, he would tell Moses, Moses, you take too much upon yourself. Don't you know that the whole congregation is holy? Don't you know that we are all holy, Moses? And Moses, the very next verse, he wouldn't get angry at this person. He wouldn't condemn him. He would fall on his face. Surely he was probably pleading for this very man. And he surely knew the outcome, that God would judge him. You think of in Leviticus chapter 10, when essentially the, the, the very first institution of the tabernacle and, and God would uh, come into the tent of meeting and accept the burnt offering and everybody would rejoice and they would see the living God through that cloud, through the Shekinah glory. And here again is man trying to add to scripture, trying to add to what God has given and, and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, would burn strange incense. I don't know what was the reason. Scripture doesn't say. Perhaps they were taking up with emotion. And, 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 and through their emotions, they wanted to, to, to keep adding to this worship. And how foolish it was that their actions, that they were not to burn that strange incense. It would completely undo the, script, the, the picture, the depiction of Christ. That God is trying to reveal to us. And fire would come up and consume them. And more closely, I mean this just happened in his lifetime. Where he would see uh, or at least hear about Saul. The kingdom would be taken from Saul for trying to take on the priestly role. And making that sacrifice when Samuel specifically told him to wait. And then just the kingdom being rent from Solomon for that very same sin of idolatry. Brothers and sisters, 
this applies to us today. We must hold fast to the word of God when it comes to approaching God, how we address him, how we worship him, how we pray to him. The writer of the Hebrews says we could boldly approach the throne of grace. We don't have to worry about being consumed anymore. But it doesn't mean that worship is what we want it to be. That the gospel is what we want it to be. I've been in witness some meetings. I think of a very dear friend of mine. His, his mom passed away and she was attending one of these mega churches. And the, the, the preacher at the, the, the service went ahead and gave the gospel. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Amen. And then he went on and doing an illustration that just completely ruined the scripture reading. He went to tell everybody, trying to preach the gospel, saying the gospel is like a reservation. It's a reservation. Think about when you're going to a restaurant. You call ahead and you make a reservation. You have that reservation. When the time comes, you go. Do you have a reservation, sir? Here it is. And then you sit down and you enjoy the meal. That going to heaven is a reservation. That it's a prayer that you say, that you put essentially in your spiritual pockets. And then you could enjoy life trouble-free. That you could enjoy your life. Do what you want. You're going to heaven. That is not the gospel, brothers and sisters. Surely salvation is a sure thing. Surely. Once saved, always saved. But that's not the salvation that I read in the Gospels, Paul would write, Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Once you're saved, just as these Israelites were saved out of captivity, they weren't saved to do whatever they wanted to, whatever they will, and then just, oh, we're going to go to the promised land. You're saved from sin to serve God. It is not something of just an insurance policy. The other day, a friend of mine sent me a, uh, a video of this, this uh, gospel prosperity preacher, if you want to call it that. And, and this, this, this fella, I don't, I don't want to say his name. Um, but he would he he would go on preaching the gospel of prosperity, and then he would call up the tithing, and and this is a church of maybe thirty thousand people, and they would run up to the to the you want to call it steps or the altar, and they would throw just a bunch of bills, hundred dollar bills, and he would go on and stepping on the money and saying, anointed in the name of Jesus, I anoint this money. That bill is paid. That bill is paid. This, this poor soul would go and drop her money and he would step on that whatever nomination of money and he would say, that bill is paid. We read in Mark chapter 2. Well, we, we know for the wages of sin is, is death. What we earn, the wage, what we, we deserve is death for that sin. And in Mark chapter 2, Remember when the, the paralytic person will come to Christ, the room was full, that they would open open the roof and they would bring him before Christ. 
Be of good cheer, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And oh, how this, the Pharisees will get stirred up in hatred, hatred towards Christ. Blasphemy. No man can forgive sins other than God. And Jesus Christ being gracious, not just saying that he's God. You believe in God? Believe also in me. These Jews that were taught from a very young age that there's one God. And Christ, knowing this, he would reveal himself. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to pick up your bed and walk? And behold, the man would pick up his bed and walk. He would reveal himself as the Son of God, as the one that has power to forgive sins. And as that poor lady would drop that dollar bill, I don't know what what debt she was thinking about. When that man stepped on it, said that bill's paid. Oh, the disappointment when the next month her mortgage bill would come and say you still owe X amount. The foolishness that some of these people in the name of the gospel, in the name of Christ, they perverse the message. You think of Balaam, that unrighteous prophet, how he worked for that unrighteous wage. And he would be condemned and it would speak very strongly against in three separate passages in the New Testament. One of them by being Christ himself in the book of Revelations. We must take heed to the word. We must study the scripture. How Paul would say, take heed lest anybody beguile you with enticing words. If we don't know the scripture, how will we know when a, a wolf in lamb's clothing comes amongst us and starts preaching and perversing the gospel? Preaching and perversing Worship, how we should approach God. Seeing as we have a lot of time and three other chapters to cover, a verse that comes to mind that I have marked here uh, when it talks about the golden calves. And this is talking about an unregenerate man, a fool. Proverbs 26, 11, it says, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly think it's very applicable to these unregenerate souls to the, this man that was offered the sure mercies of David and how he would turn him down and return to his folly the uh, next chapter there is a man of God not given by name and surely he is a man of God and he's referred to that way in multiple passages and he comes and he condemns he speaks out against Jeroboam this man was from Judah and it says that he would prophesize when these altars would be taken down they would be destroyed the prophets would be burnt these fake prophets would be burnt upon these altars speaking about Josiah one of my favorite kings and Jeroboam again just like Pharaoh, reminds me so much of Pharaoh, how God would reveal himself to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh would harden his own heart. He would harden his own heart. He would not believe until it got to a point where his heart was too hardened that God himself would now harden his heart. 
And here God would reveal himself again through this man of God. And his hand would wither as he looked to condemn the prophet. And he would ask for mercy. Lo and behold, God would grant this wicked man mercy. Brother, sister, if you're here today, this morning, and you have been rejecting God's mercy, he still offers it to you as he offered it to this foolish man. And he would offer this prophet his friendship because he healed them, essentially. He intervened for him. The prophet was given specific instructions to not eat or drink in this city of Bethel, to go another way. And, uh, well, the rest of the story, I'll leave to you to, to see what you think of. We're going to skip down to verse 33 just because of time. Again, we're discussing Jeroboam's foolishness, his great sin. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but again, of the lowest people, priest of the high places, whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places, and this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off, to destroy it, from the face of the earth. One thing that when you read scripture, you, you, you notice when you read it out loud, and it says, and he made, in verse 31 in chapter, uh, chapter 12, it says, whereupon uh, he made the golden calves, verse 31, he made, uh, Jeremiah, um, he offered, he devised, he, he, he. If you look at the way when the tabernacle was established in the book of Leviticus, it says they did according to the word of the Lord. Moses did according to the word of the Lord. According to the word of the Lord. Brother and sister, if you're going to worship Christ, if you're going to worship God, it has to be according to the word of the Lord. The fact that it is the saying he made, he made, he made. How wicked and perverse was this man that God would reveal himself through the prophet, through two different prophets. He would be healed, and yet he would not submit to God, to God's will, and he would make the people to sin. Just briefly, I would like to mention, in chapter 15, you see the, the demise of Jeroboam. For his sin, his his son, probably his eldest son, his most his favorite son, who was going to be heir, was very gravely ill, and he would send his wife disguised to the very same prophet that would reveal that God has given him the kingdom, and he probably told her to disguise herself because he was maybe ashamed of what he had done, of how he had completely thrown off that promise. And here we see one dying for the sins of another. And how, how, how he must have wept and how his wife wept for the, for the death of his son, for his foolishness. It doesn't record in Scripture how Jeroboam died, but it does say that the Lord struck him down. You could compare it to almost the same verbiage that's used in the book of Acts when God would strike down Herod, 
And who knows if it was from some sickness that God would strike him down. In Second Chronicles, the historian here kind of gives a little more detail. And there was a king after Rehoboam. His name was Asa or Abijah. And he would battle against Jeroboam. Jeroboam had an army of 800, let's say 800,000. And this man had an army of just 500,000. And yet, though the numbers favored Jeroboam, this king, which is not necessarily a good king in the book of Kings, it would say that in this chapter, it would actually give a good testimony of how he warred against Jeroboam. In verse 9 it says, Have ye not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands? So that, the, that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same way, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God. And we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are sons of Aaron and Levites. Wait upon their business. And it's these very Levites that are instrumental to the defeat of Jeroboam. Look in verse, verse, uh, chap, in verse 12. It says, And behold, God himself is our captain, and his priest sounding the trumpets to cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye against the Lord God of our fathers, of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. And then verse 12, 14, when they're surrounded, it says that they cried out unto the Lord, and the priest sounded the trumpets. And here, God gave the southern kingdom a great victory over Jeroboam. And his numbers dwindled mightily. It says that 500,000 were slain. And it says that Jeroboam, in verse 20, neither did Jeroboam recover strength again in those days, and the Lord struck him. What a sad ending to a sad story to a man of God, to a man that God had invested so much time and, and uh, revealed himself to such a man. We must be aware of false prophets. Just to close, in the book of Matthew, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking in denunciation of the Pharisees, how they would lead the people astray. How would they would proclaim a false religion? And in angry words, the Lord Jesus Christ would speak to them. In chapter 23, verse 13, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. And how they laid people astray. Others, this is happening today, brothers and sisters. How there's false gospels out there. They're very similar to our setup. Very similar type of buildings. Very similar messages. But twisted with their own drops of cyanide in a complete glass of water. Apparently, it looks good. You drink it, it's fatal. And we must understand God's word. We must be in it. We must hold dear to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to be aware of any 
uh, incorrect doctrine that could lead people astray. And as that we began today's message with that poor woman, that Samaritan, who had was a vile sinner, who had many men promise her fake promises, and how she met the true and living God. And he would reveal himself to her. And he would answer questions of worship. And she would run to the city. Come, see a man who told me all I did. And a great revival was done through the correct message, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We apologize, I apologize again for not covering the passage in its entirety. But time is against us, so let's just look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for your word. As the psalmist would describe it, it is a light unto our, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, Father. We would ask that we would uh, take hold of it, Father. That will we cling on to it, Father, for our very lives. That we will meditate upon it. That we would uh, study it, Father, that it would dictate the very way we live. We thank you so much for that sacrifice on Calvary's cross. We thank you that there's salvation there's no salvation under, given among, among, among men under heaven by where we must be saved. We ask that Jesus Christ will get the glory this morning. In his name we do pray. Amen. Amen.